The theme for this evening's service is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It was 1863, and that was the bloodiest year of the Civil War, and the country was in the midst of this turmoil and bloodshed. It was in the fall of 1863 that Lincoln called for a national day of prayer and thanksgiving. It was a time when the harvest was not plentiful, when peace seemed so distant. Though the hour was dark, Americans could still be called back to the simple faith of their childhood. Lincoln said, The year that is drawing to a close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. Despite what was going on in the nation at that time, Lincoln reminded his fellow citizens that the people of the nation had much reason to be thankful, and they had much to look forward to. The day would come when the nation would be united again, and the nation would experience, as Lincoln said, a large increase of freedom. It was a profoundly hopeful message, reminding Americans of their capacity for renewal. But it wasn't until about eight decades later, in the fall of 1943, that President Franklin Roosevelt proclaimed Thanksgiving as a national holiday. This time, Americans were unified, backing their sons and daughters on another war front. On that day, millions prayed for an end to the tyrannies of Nazi Germany in Imperial Japan. Today, there are still many enemies that threaten our nation. But in some ways, the most dangerous threat to the stability and the long-term well-being of the nation is internal. You know as well as I do that Many, that there are deep divisions between Americans along philosophical and political and religious grounds. There's globalism versus nationalism. There's socialism versus democracy. There's Democrat versus Republican versus Libertarian. There's anti-Trumpers and there's pro-Trumpers. There's militant secularism versus traditional Christianity. There's urban versus rural and town. There's open borders, there's closed borders, there's permeable borders. Sadly, I read something this week, I think it was meant to be humorous, but it was tragically true. It said, if you want to decrease the amount of gifts you need to buy for your family, just talk about politics during the Thanksgiving meal. As I said, it was meant to be humorous, but it's kind of tragically true. 
As a country, the United States has a long history of acknowledging the one who is the giver of all good things. At the very beginning of this country, the Declaration of Independence appealed to the Creator to justify our existence as a nation. And just as there was a need for the Creator then, there's a need for the Creator today to approach God in prayer and with thanksgiving, to ask God to heal and to reconcile our nation which is divided, to prosper virtuous vocations, to stabilize family and strengthen friendships, to sustain the nation in times of trouble and to preserve our liberties, to grant wisdom to the leaders who govern us, to prosper those who seek to do the Lord's will for the good of the country and for the world, and to fill this land with God's glory and the love and the compassion of Christ as his people worship and serve the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are so many things, so many reasons for us to give thanks to God this evening. For God has bestowed his blessings upon the people of the United States of America. We just gave thanks and remembered in prayer a number of those in that litany that was just prayed. But if you could add your own two blessings to this litany, what might they be? What might they be? We Christians know that God is our ruler. We know that he is our king. And we know that he is not only our ruler and king, but he is the ruler and king of this nation. And he is the ruler and king of all the nations of this world. And so, be joyful always. Pray continually for our nation and for the nations of this world. Give thanks to God in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. O oh God, our Father, you have created the universe and sustained it by your powerful word. You are good to everyone and have compassion on all that you have made. We enter your house of prayer with thanksgiving and come before you with songs of joy, with gratitude and high praise on this festive evening. We thank you for soil and seed, for sunlight and rain, for health and strength, for machinery and technology, and every other blessing by which you give us our daily bread. You have given us a plentiful land, rich in resources for agriculture, mining, and industry. You have blessed us with education and skills to use these resources for the good of our country and its people, and even for the people of this world. And although you do not always spare us from trouble and dark days, we still must confess that our cup of blessing is overflowing, and we praise your name. Make us continually aware of your goodness, O Lord. And Holy Father, God of mercy, look with compassion upon this land and grant to us civil peace. 
We cherish the right to express disappointment or disagreement publicly, but grant grace to those who do so always to speak with respect and reason. Remove from all hearts hatred, suspicion, fear, and prejudice. Help us to explain our neighbor's actions in the kindest way. And use your church, yes, use us, to be an agent of peaceful and reasoned discourse in this time. Grant us unity as a nation, delighting in the rule of law and not of men. Drive far from us the spirit of sedition and rebellion and help all of our citizens to honor our government officials, to pray for them and to hold them accountable as servants of the common good. We pray in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Monsignor Joseph Dooley wrote, I think that I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be, a church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way, a church that has no pews or no empty pews, whose people all pay their dues, a church whose members always sing and flock to church when the bells ring. Such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still, we'll work and pray and plan to make our own the best we can. These words reflect a lot of truth, don't they? What perfect church exists? None that I know of here on earth. And that's why I think we all look forward to the church triumphant. And yet, despite the flaws and the warts of the church on earth, and especially as we look at even our own church, we still have many reasons to give thanks to God, don't we? What do you thank God for as a member of this congregation, as a member of the Christian church? Are you thankful for the faithful preaching that has been proclaimed from this pulpit for the last 90 years or 89 plus years? Are you thankful for the opportunities that you have to be able to come here and worship freely on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights or whenever the services might be? Are you thankful for the fact that you can come and kneel at these railings and partake of the very body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you thankful for the fact that you're able to sing such beautiful hymns and songs being led and accompanied by a gifted organist and an organ? Are you thankful to God that you have choirs and bell choirs that have led you in worship and reminded you of what it may be just like in heaven, just a little bit? Are you thankful to God for the fact that the scriptures are read in a language that you can understand? Are you thankful for each other, for the blessings that you are to one another as you serve together as partners in the gospel, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, praying for one another, coming alongside one another in your times of need and in your times of joy? 
Those are some of the things that just come to my mind for which I'm thankful. Yes, St. Paul says, be joyful always. Pray continually. Pray continually for our congregation. Pray continually for the church, the Christian church on earth. And give thanks to God in all circumstances, even those challenging circumstances. But give thanks to God in all circumstances. For you see, this is God's will for you and for me in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. O Christ, when you ascended into heaven, you sent your followers into the world to make disciples of all nations by baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that you've commanded. Bless our congregation and your church on earth in this task. O Lord, you brought great joy to the wise men when they saw the star that led them to you. Give all members of our congregation great joy in following you, that in every situation they're ready to hear your word and give thanks for all your benefits and trust in your promises. And ruler of all, your word brought the universe into existence and is able to turn rebellious sinners into thankful servants. And with your word, you govern and sustain not only our congregation, but congregations across this land and even to the four corners of the earth. And so tonight, O Lord, we give you thanks for the partnership we share with other Lutheran churches in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and in the worldwide communion that we have with other Lutheran bodies and denominations in other parts of the world. We rejoice in the oneness that we share with all Christians, for we recognize and confess that we are one holy Christian and apostolic church. We pray, O Lord, that even as you guide us in our tasks of sharing the good news of your victory over sin, death, and the devil, that you would guide all of your people throughout this world in in those endeavors. Help everyone who labors in your kingdom to be your faithful servant. And shepherd of the church, you supply us with everything we need and are always with us. Continue to nourish and strengthen us with your word and sacraments and fill our hearts with gladness so that by our labors under your guidance, many more may be brought into your flock. And thank you, Lord, for this beautiful house of worship. We thank you, O Lord, for the fresco, for it reminds us that you are the Alpha and the Omega, that you are the ruler and king of all. We thank you for the altar as it brings to mind the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We thank you for the crosses that adorn our sanctuary as they remind us of Jesus' word, it is finished. Thank you for the baptismal font, for it reminds us of our own spiritual rebirth. Thank you for the communion rail, for it beckons us to come and to eat the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the pulpit and the lectern, for your life-giving word is read from these locations. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for their love, for their encouragement, and for their support, for their partnership in the gospel, for the unique gifts and abilities, and how they use those gifts for the enrichment of St. James and for the community at large. And tonight we pray for all those who are ill. We pray for those who grieve. We pray for those who are filled with anxiety. We pray for those who are at their wit's end. May they find their comfort, their hope, and their strength for each and every day in you. 
And Lord, we celebrate with those who are celebrating anniversaries, who are celebrating birthdays and baptismal birthdays, who are celebrating a new job, a a new opportunity in life. Lord, we not only weep together, but we rejoice together. And so, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your church. We thank you for each other. Oh, Jesus, we pray all of this in your name, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It is said of children, today's children are tyrants. They disobey their parents, they gobble down their food, and they tyrannize their teachers. You might be surprised to learn that those words were spoken or written by Socrates around 400 B.C. (laughs) Children really haven't changed over the years, have they? They often get a bad rap, and maybe not always rightly so. Oh, sure, children can be naughty, but oh, they can all be so innocent, can't they? Oh, they can be extremely shy, and yet they can be so very trusting. Oh, they may squirm in their seat, but boy, there's nothing like a cuddle when they're in your lap. Oh, they may whine and whine, and yet they can fill a room full of joy. Oh, they may shed lots of tears, and yet you can hear their laughter, and it brightens your day. Thank you for doing that on cue. Children can be so self-centered and yet so accepting of others that they're even what I would call color-blind. They may like to say the word no, but then they're always, it seems, ready to give you a nice big hug, especially near their papa. Yes, children are gifts from God. From the moment of conception, they are knit together by the God who created them. And he's making each and every one of them unique, special in their own way. Children are a heritage from the Lord, says the psalmist in Psalm 127. He says they're a reward, not a burden, but a reward from him. Yes, children are a gift from God to us. Now, we've also heard... And I used to say it, right, Christina? Children should be heard, or children should be seen and not heard. Christina always wanted to be heard, you know. (laughs) She was taken after me. But children should be seen and not heard. Well, that can be understandable, especially when the children are being loud and annoying. But there are also other times when children say just the darndest thing, don't they? The thing that may be unfiltered. The thing that you and I would never say. They sometimes say words of truth. Words of truth that we need to hear. As I was preparing for this devotion and thinking about what to give thanks to God for children for, I couldn't help but go in my mind and think, okay, now where in the Bible are these children and Where did they do something really special? And my research took me into 1 Samuel 3. 
You may remember the story of a 12-year-old boy named Samuel. Samuel was living amongst Eli and his sons in the temple. And Eli, and especially his sons, were corrupt. Eli allowed everything to go on. And one night as Samuel was sleeping, God came, to e- God came to Samuel and said, Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go tell Eli something. And so finally, I won't go into all the details, but finally Samuel got the message from God and it was a message of judgment. God said to Samuel, I want you to tell Eli that I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he, hit, and he failed to restrain them. And therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by the sacrifice or by offering. And it was 12-year-old Samuel who delivered that message to Eli. And Eli's response was, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. True words from Samuel. Then there's David. You know, David and Goliath. David was not a little child. He was about 16 years of age when he went up onto the front lines to deliver food to to his brothers and the other soldiers. And when he got to the front lines of the war, of course he heard Goliath taunting the the, the soldiers of, of Israel. And none of the soldiers, not even King Saul himself, had the boldness and the guts to go out and, and fight Goliath. And here was this 16-year-old boy who basically said to them and even to King Saul, what are you so scared of? Why are you letting this pagan taunt you and taunt our God? And so then David spoke these very true words. He said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Oh, that we would all have such faith. Certainly Saul didn't have it. David's brothers didn't have it. None of the other soldiers had it. But David recognized that God was powerful. And as David went out in the presence of God with his power behind him, he would be able to defeat anything and everything, even this giant named Goliath. And I don't know what Saul was thinking. I mean, who would allow a 16-year-old boy to go out into the battlefield with a sling and a few rocks. Who would allow such a lad to go out? But Saul, after hearing David's word, said, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Those were words that King Saul needed to hear that came from David. And then there's also the slave girl. You remember her, don't you, in 2 Kings 5? The slave girl who worked for Naaman and his wife, Naaman was a soldier, a commander, and he had leprosy, and he was going to die if he didn't get healed. And this little slave girl said to Naaman's wife, she said, if only my master would see the prophet, the prophet Elisha, who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so on the advice of this little girl, Naaman went to Elisha, and he was healed. And then, of course, there's John the Baptist, you know, when he was just in the womb. John didn't say anything. His body language did it all. It said it all. Because when Mary went and visited with Elizabeth, what do we read in in the Gospels? It said, as soon as the sound of Mary's greeting reached Elizabeth's ear, 
the baby, John the Baptist, leaped for joy in the womb. Amazing. Probably the best sermon around. And then there's Palm Sunday. Jesus riding in Jerusalem on a donkey. And there were little children in the crowd crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. And because of their testimony, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and that were upset and they said to Jesus, tell these children to be quiet. They shouldn't be calling out to you, Hosanna, Son of the David. And Jesus said to, the, said to them, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And of course, there was a time when Jesus used the child as an object lesson. And he took this little child up into his arm. And he said, truly, I tell all of you, all you grown-ups out there, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yes, children are God's gifts to us in so many ways. Sometimes even in what they have to say to us. So maybe the next time a child speaks to you or speaks to me, we would do well to listen because it just might be God speaking to us through them. Be joyful always. Pray continually for our children. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we pray for all children. All have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and are therefore precious in your sight. Bring them to the knowledge of the truth that they may know their Savior and trust in him. Give them faithful teachers who will instruct them further in the saving truths of the Bible. Warn them against wrongdoing and teach them by word and example to live as Christians in this wicked world. Fill their hearts with true love of your word and prompt them to study it thoughtfully, to speak it winsomely, and to live it sincerely. Dear Savior, keep all children close to you and let none of them perish, but bring them to their eternal home. And dear Lord, we read in Psalm 139 how you are the one who knits children together in, their, in the womb of their mother. And so tonight, O oh Lord, we pray for all the unborn children in the world who are growing and developing in the wombs of their mothers. And we pray for the mothers that you would give them the strength that they need for each and every day. And also be with the fathers too, that they too would find joy in this new life that is now growing and developing and is a person and that they will one day meet. Lord, we pray for all the special children in our lives. We give you thanks for the gift of children to love, the gift of these children to raise, for their lives to share, their minds to help mold, their bodies to nurture, and their spirits to enrich. Help us never betray their trust or dampen their hope or discourage their dreams. Help us, dear Lord, to help these precious children become all you mean to them to be. And let your grace and love fall on them like gentle breezes and give them inner strength and peace and patience for the journey that lies ahead as they keep their eyes on you. Amen. 
You may have thought I was done with three meditations, but no, you get a fourth. As we give thanks to God for this Eucharistic meal that we're about to participate in, Thanksgiving is about remembering. Remembering the blessings of God on our nation, remembering the blessings of God on our church, remembering the blessings of God through children. And our thanksgiving is prompted by remembrance, and it's made all that much more special by the fact that we are participating this night in the Eucharistic meal. Eucharist is a word that comes from the Greek word thanksgiving. At the center of our worship life is the Eucharist. We often call it Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper. And at the center of the Eucharistic liturgy are the words of Jesus. They're energizing words. They make real and present what they signify. The words of Jesus create the reality that they declare. When Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, that's what they are. And when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, what was given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, that's what you and I receive, the forgiveness of sins. These words are the power and the reason for our thanksgiving as we pour into our hearts not just a distant memory of some event that took place in an upper room some 2,000 years ago, but it's a living reality that is true and real today as it was yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and the years before that and the centuries before that and the millenniums before that going all the way back to the night that Jesus instituted this Eucharistic meal. Thanksgiving erupts from this living remembrance of what Jesus has done for us Thanksgiving is not tied to the fluctuations of life from the ups and the downs of life. Thanksgiving is grounded in something so much deeper, so much bigger. It's grounded in God's love, in God's forgiveness, in God's eternal presence. The 17th century Europe was a political and social mess. The Thirty Years' War precipitated many woes throughout the continent. The familiar hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, was written by Pastor Martin Rinkert, and it came from that century. Maybe you know the story behind this hymn. Maybe you don't. I'll just share a few thoughts about it. The year that Rinkert wrote this beloved hymn, he buried around 6,000 people in his little German village. He presided over their deaths and their funerals because he was their pastor. They died as a result of the plague. Not only did he bury 6,000 people, but some of the people he buried were his own family, his wife and children. And yet it was in the midst of this catastrophic loss in his life and in the loss of that community that he wrote this great hymn of thanksgiving. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices 
who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now think of these words in the next verse and what he's going through. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed and free us from all harm in this world and the next. One can just imagine the perplexity that Pastor Rinkert had as he buried so many people and committed their souls to the Lord. The perplexity of burying his own wife and children and wondering why in the world would you allow this to happen, God? And yet trusting all along in God's goodness and his love and his mercy to the point that he would be able to say, now thank we all our God. It certainly wasn't, that joy certainly wasn't grounded in the circumstances of life, was it? Because the circumstances of his life were catastrophic and horrible. But instead the joy was anchored in the love of God. It was anchored in the forgiveness of Christ. It was anchored in the fact that the tomb was empty on Easter morning and that in Christ even the dead can live. It was anchored and grounded in the fact of holy baptism, knowing that those who are baptized into Christ will live in Christ. It was grounded in absolution, that when God declares your sins forgiven, they are forgiven. It was grounded in the promises of the Eucharistic meal, where God promises, take, eat, and drink. This is my body and blood given and shed for you. And it is a foretaste of the feast to come. That's why Pastor Rinkert could write these beautiful words of this hymn. And that's why he breaks out in doxology in his final verse when he says, All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son in Him who reigns, with them is highest heaven, the one eternal God, whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Amen.